morning. How are you guys doing? Good. We are, as Chris said, starting uh, or continuing ending our series, Did God Really Say That? Uh, before we jump into that, I just want to uh, further highlight a couple things. In your bulletin, you, you saw FOSPA explanation. How many of you guys have no clue what FOSPA is? Let's, let's just be real here. Okay. Uh, I, I, I got to spend a little bit of t- time on stage explaining this. Uh, and, uh, on the 4th, we have, a, we have a covenant community meeting for covenant community members, uh, but also anybody uh, who wants to just uh, come is welcome to come. Uh, FOSPA is kind of like potluck, uh, but it comes from like the Mennonite Russian tradition. And so uh, SunWest comes out of the uh, Mennonite heritage, and we're just trying to take, we're trying to leave, leave some of the not stuff we want to continue behind, but one of the great things we want to continue from that tradition is FOSPA. And so here, here's the beautiful, <laughs> there we go, we got uh, Grant Smith giving me an amen. Uh, the beautiful thing about FOSPA, the whole idea of it is it, it's a non-prep. How many of you moms would love lunch with non-prep after a Sunday? Uh, so in an in a old school Mennonite community, the expectation on a Sunday afternoon was FOSPA. It's just like buns, cold sandwich meat, cheese, things that you just pull out of your fridge and you put on the table. And there was no expectations in the community that you'd have something warm or really fancy. It was just plain and awesome. And everybody did it. And so you, you weren't self-conscious about serving it. And, uh, and if you went somewhere, that's where you, what you expected. And so on the Covenant Community Meeting, we're having a potluck, but it's a FOSPA potluck. And so there's a description there in your bulletin. If you don't know what it is, uh, bring some meat and cheese and buns and stuff, and it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Uh, and just lastly, there's hearing God, as Chris said, uh, but we just want to encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, and you can do that right on the SunWest Church website. Uh, you will see under events, you just click on the event, Hearing God, and there's a registration there um, just so we know uh, you're coming and what to expect. Okay, did God really say that? We're concluding the series. I've had a lot of fun preaching the series. Uh, the whole idea behind this series is taken from Genesis, where in the beginning, God created man, and man was living at harmony with God, with, the, uh, with each other, with creation, uh, and Things were going all right until a serpent came along, and the serpent decided to tempt uh, Eve first by twisting something that God said. So God created, Adam and Eve, and told them, you can eat from how many of the trees in the garden? Any in the garden, okay? Except for one. And the whole idea behind that except for one is that relationship needs choice. And so God created us from the very beginning to have choice, to choose him, to live in a relationship with him, and... The serpent comes along and says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And do you see how the serpent came and twisted something that was truth, something uh, that sounded like it was true, something that God had said earlier, uh, but kind of twisted to a little bit of a lie. And often when the enemy comes, he doesn't just tell us something that is completely outrageous or completely contrary to what God said. Often he takes something that sounds like God would say and he changes it. Uh, and so we start to think, maybe God really did say that. And, uh, and of course, Adam and Eve were kind of led astray by that, um, and they decided uh, to listen to the serpent's voice instead of trusting in God's voice. And so what are the areas in our life, lives that we think things, that we believe things that we think God said, but they're actually, it's actually a voice from somewhere else. It's maybe it's our own voice, it's our friend's voice, it's the, it's the voice in our culture, and we've, it, it kind of sounds like something God would say. It's just twisted a little bit, and it actually leads us away from God's uh, desire for our life. 
So the last one we're looking at this morning is God gives you the desires of your heart. God gives you the desires of your heart. And for those of you uh, who have read the Psalms, uh, you would know that uh, this is actually in the Bible. Uh, and as, as if you've journeyed with us through the series, you know that many of the things that we've looked at, you can, found, you can find things uh, that the Bible says that communicates some of these lies that have been twisted. And often we get into the twisting of Scripture, what God said, because we don't read it uh, in the entirety of, of the context. We're going to come back to that in a second. God gives you the desires of your heart. God wants your life to go the way you want it to go. If I told you this wasn't true, some of you would be very dis- disappointed, and I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to upset you, uh, but the reality is this is not true. And I could support this idea even through Scripture. And in fact, most people can support, find something, some kind of verse somewhere in the Bible to support what they want to say anyways. Uh, but you could support this idea through Scripture. In Psalm 97, verse 12, it says, May all who are godly be happy. I like that verse. Anybody like that verse? Come on, that verse just makes me want to dance. Come on, come on. All right, cut that. This is not going to be a sermon I watch online later. I'm sorry you had to witness that. Oh. So when I talked about the Mennonite heritage and things, we, I did, you know, Mennonites just can't dance. And I, that's, we're going to leave that one behind. I got to learn how to dance. But we can support this idea in Scripture. Be happy. This is... There's a, there's a reality and a, and a half-truth to this uh, that, that we're going to look at. But if God wants me to be happy above all else, if God wants me to be happy above all else, whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. If God wants me to be happy above all else, whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy be wrong. Okay, cut, 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 okay. I promise we don't have any more music this morning. That was the last one. Cheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. That's just not true, Cheryl. But if we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else, then the conclusion becomes whatever makes me happy must be right and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. And we start to orient our lives between the feeling, the experience of being happy, not necessarily the desire to follow God's leading in my life. Two, if God wants me to be happy above all else, discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences and obstacles can't be God's will in my life. This is something that I think uh, many followers of Jesus struggle with who have kind of bought into this twisted lie that God wants above all else for you to be happy 
Something comes into their life, a storm comes into life, something unexpected, a delay of something you wanted, a risk. You don't get what you want, some obstacle that gets in the way of what you felt like God was, where God was leading you, and we conclude that that must not be God's will. And in fact, sometimes God uses these things in our life uh, to, draw him, to draw us to himself. If God wants you to be happy above all else, we will constantly think God has abandoned us, that we are outside of his will, that we, we will constantly question him whenever hardship comes our way, or we will question ourselves. We talked about this even a couple of weeks ago, that we, you know, if things go bad, we think, what have I done wrong? And I think that's always a legitimate question to ask, is there things in my life that I need to get right? But just because something isn't going the way you want it to does not mean that you're necessarily outside of the will of God. And it doesn't necessarily mean that God doesn't have uh, a purpose for you in what you're going through. Number three, if God wants me to be happy above all else, without knowing it, I begin to worship the false gods of money, comfort, pleasure, and things. And many people live in this place today that we think that what God wants for us is exactly what the commercial on TV is telling us. And I think any time that we think that God's will for our lives aligns with what culture is telling us, we should, be, we, we should walk carefully. Does that make sense? Anytime we think that what God wants for our life is exactly what the commercial on TV is telling us that we should have, uh, we should be a little weary. Does God's voice sound like our culture, or is God's voice calling us something beyond our culture? We can end up worshiping false gods of money, comfort, pleasure, and things if we believe that God wants us to be happy above, above all else. If God wants me happy, then God exists to serve me. If God's ultimate purpose is to make me happy, then God actually ends up serving me. He's kind of like a genie who's there to give you your wish, whatever you want. Or he's like a cosmic Coke machine. You know, I, you know I, I, I put money into the Coke machine, and I, I pressed the Sprite button, and Sprite didn't come out, and now I'm angry. If I do this, if I pray, if I go to church, if I help a lady cross the road, if I do good things, if I don't do bad things, then God must give me the raise I want, the girl that I want to date. She's going to say yes to me because I, I did what God wanted me to do. I pushed the God button, and out should roll exactly what I selected. Why wasn't it B8? I pressed B8. It wasn't B8. If God wants to be happy, then God exists to serve me. And then we start having this transactional relationship with God. Like if we do a certain formula, then there's going to be a certain outcome. And I can remember as a kid, and you can probably remember, you know, even when he didn't have money, you'd shake, you'd shake the, anybody shake those machines to get what you wanted out of, the, out of that thing? Or stick your hand, anybody get their hand caught in one of those doors trying to, yes, yeah. That, I won't tell you how many times that happened to me, but uh, you kleptomaniacs out there, I saw, I saw those hands. But we start to treat God like that, and we get frustrated when we don't get what we want. The challenge is this, if, if this is the highest calling, to be happy, if I'm not happy, then God failed. And I think this is one of the fundamental problems in our, in our culture, but specifically in, in the Western church culture today, 
I tried religion, and it didn't work. I went to church. It didn't work. I, I prayed. It didn't work. I went, I went to a SunWest group. You know, they, they stood up there every single week, and they told me, I got to get plugged into a group. And if I get plugged into a group, then there was going to be life change in my life, and my life still sucks, so God failed. And if God didn't fail, then at least the church failed because the, the, the church told me something else. People walk away from God because the fundamental foundation of their belief is based on this idea that if I follow God, things should go right, then I should be happy, and I should get what I want. And don't get me wrong, I believe with all my heart that God delights in our happiness. I believe that God rejoices when you're happy. You know, when I have three sons that play soccer, and when one of them scores a goal, and they're totally elated, so am I. You know, I am cheering. I, I'm excited. I, I share in their happiness. If one of my sons were to score a goal, and this is hypothetical, uh, and he turned to the bench and he, of the opposing team and he starts giving the bench the finger, and, you know, I, I would not share in his happiness. That was hypothetical. That was, that was for real. I know you guys are trying to figure out which son of mine it was. It, was it, it wasn't one of my boys. I'm just saying, if that were to happen, I wouldn't share in their happiness. Why? Because there's, there's something greater than their happiness as a father that I'm concerned about for them. I like it when they're happy. I, I delight when they're happy. But, but at the end of the day, my main purpose as a dad is not just to make my kids happy. So God comes to us. And he looks at you and he delights in your happiness. You know, when, you're, when you feel joy, he feels that joy with you. But at the end of the day, the jo joy is not the end goal. Your happiness is not the end goal. So God doesn't want you to be happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. Right? If, if happiness is the main goal and you think, you know, this is, this is what I want, often that can lead people to do, doing things that are unwise or they're just plain out wrong. In 1 Peter 1.15, it says, just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. Is that what it says? No. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Holy means to be different, to be set apart. God is other than us. God is separate. God is, uh, there, there is no wrong, no evil, no sin in God. And, and just as God who is holy has called you. He's actually called us to be set apart, to be different, to live in a way that is in alignment with the character of God. When we believe that God wants us to be happy above everything else, we can justify doing something that's really wrong when it's not right. If you've been on the Mexico trip that we go on every year uh, at, at Sun West every spring break, You'll realize that the farther south you go, you start, to, you start to see these things in convenience stores called Takis. Does anybody know what a Takis is? Okay, it's like, it's like Doritos, except like better. Doritos on steroids. Um, but, and they taste amazing. And if you don't know what Takis are, just, just equate this illustration to Doritos. And you, you look at the ingredients on there, and there's like a list this long of ingredients of things you've never heard of in your life. And, and I can look at that, and I can think, eating these makes me happy. <laughs> to be, like, I, I buy one of those bags on the Mexico trip, and I, I allot myself just one, but I'll eat it in about two minutes, just like, just down it. 
and it makes me happy. But I know for a fact that if I continued to pursue that feeling of happiness, I would not look as good as I look right now. Uh, I've always had a few talkies, uh, but I haven't had as many as I'd really like. But happiness is not the end goal. Some of you who are married know this. For better or worse, you stood at the altar, you said, for better or worse, till death do us part. And you got going in your marriage and you realized, man, I'm not as happy as I thought I'd be. And our culture says that your happiness is the main goal. And so if your marriage isn't making you happy, then obviously, why would you be married? There might be some of you in the room this morning that are even struggling with that idea. I'm not happy in my marriage right now. And obviously, I'm not promoting staying in a marriage that's abusive. But outside of those types of realities, when you committed to that person, you committed to something beyond happiness. You committed to a relational covenant. Maybe some of you are dabbling in, you know, drugs or alcohol or pornography, and uh, it makes you happy. And so it's just easy to go to that place, and it can't be that bad if it makes me happy. And we can start to justify decisions we make because happiness becomes our highest goal. The movies we watch. You know, funny doesn't make wrong right. You know, we, you know, what are the types of things that we're watching just because happiness becomes our goal rather than living in a life in alignment with God? God, doesn't want, God does not want us to pursue happiness. He wants us to pursue himself. The relationship with God is our calling. It's what we were created for. And we're going to come back to this in a second. God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on the things of this world. God is not concerned about your ranking in Fortnite. Come on, I, I, some of these kids here just woke up at the front and like, what? Shocker! Revelation. God does not care about your ranking in Fortnite. And some of you guys have no idea what Fortnite is, and that's totally fine. Save, save yourself. <laughs> Run. It's a black hole. God does not want us to be happy when it's just solely based on the things of this world. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, I don't have it on the screen, but, but listen to this. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. God is not opposed to happiness. He's not opposed to good things. In fact, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good and perfect thing in your life comes from God. The problem is when that worldly thing becomes an ultimate thing. So here's the world's formula. Better possessions, peaceful circumstances, plus thrilling experiences, plus the right relationships, plus the perfect appearance will equal happiness. Come on, you, 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 could, you could summarize probably everything you see on TV into, those, into that formula. You could probably add that toy that you don't have, the vacation, the, the relationship that you're longing for. If, if I can have all of that, then it'll make me happy. 
I, I refer to this as the mirage of next. We, we have a problem with next. We're always waiting for the next thing. And, and I recognize this in my own life. I find myself always waiting for what's next, and I, I say to myself, you know, as soon as next spring gets here, you know, as soon as, I, you know, I can even remember being, being a little kid, and uh, I, I, I remember hitting puberty late as a kid, uh, and I, I remember thinking, as soon as I hit puberty, then I'll be happy. I, I had that thought. Uh, there's awkward chuckles right now. I had that thought. As soon as I graduate from high school, then I can be happy. Get out of this institution. As soon as I can get out of college, I get out of my career, then I'll be happy. What's next? As soon as I can get in, engaged to the girl I love, then I'll be happy. As soon as I get married, as soon as I have kids... When that next thing comes, as soon as I'm a little older, when, when I get a little older, and what, what happens over time is that we, we realize that we're, we're pursuing something that never quite delivers on the expectations we had for it. And C.S. Lewis says that if, if we don't find anything in this life that satisfies our longings, then probably the best explanation is we were created for something beyond this life. You will always chase next if happiness is your main goal. You will always be thinking next. And I think we struggle to just be present today where we are because we don't believe in an all-sufficient God who is present today. We struggle to be present today because we don't believe in an all-sufficient God who is present today. And I mentioned C.S. Lewis, and, and, and he talks in an essay about this concept of first and second things. I'm just going to read a little bit of what he, what he wrote in his essay. He says, the longer I looked into it, this idea, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law. The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end not only her usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great, or a partial good to a total good, involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. Let, let me read that one more time. Every preference of a small good to a great, or a partial good to a total good, involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. Apparently, the world is being made that way. You can't get to second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. Then he summarizes it, and he says this. Put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both the first and the second thing. We never get to say... Sorry, then he goes on to talk about food as an example. The pleasure of food is lost as soon as we become greedy. Right? You take a second thing, you put it first, and you lose both the second and the first thing. God will not let you compromise your life and eternity for second things. We all want to be happy. I get it. You know what? One of my sons uh, had a pacifier. Well, they all had a pacifier. Um, 
and uh, a soother. And, and, and I had one son that had a soother for way, way, way too long. In fact, Lisa and I were looking through pictures yesterday, um, and we just going through all of our digital photos, years of them, and we just kept seeing one of our kids with a soother in like every single picture. And we're like, oh my goodness. And, and I remember as a father, I'm like, I'm done. Like, the, like it used to be cute. And, and those little, the, the pictures when they were small were, were cute when he had a soother in. Uh, when he's starting to go to like preschool and stuff and he needs a soother um, and he's going to kindergarten and he needs a soother, I think we, I think we got a bit of a problem. And, and so I remember one day, sorry, he didn't go to kindergarten with a soother, but I, I remember one day, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm done. I've had it. We, we got we to gotta cut him off of the soother. Because the ultimate goal for me as a father is not that he's happy. Um, it's that he doesn't get made fun of by his friends when he goes to school. And so uh, I, I wish I would have caught it on videotape, uh, but I didn't. I, I took a soother, and I took a pair of scissors, and I looked, I looked him in the eye. And, and, it, and you could just tell, like, he, he was afraid for what was about to happen. And... Uh, and I cut the tip of it off with him looking. And he went like this. <laughs> he, you, how many of you guys have the wind knocked out of you in your life and you can't breathe? This is, this is what happened. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my goodness. What, what, I'm, I think I just killed my son. And, and it, he, he fell down on the floor. <laughs> and I remember Lisa and I looking at each other. We, we just started laughing. We're... Worried and laughing all at the same time. You can't breathe. And, and we both ha- had the same thought. It was like, why didn't we videotape this? This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. Obviously, a soother is a second thing, right? Like, it's not like it's a bad thing. But as soon as it becomes an ultimate thing, there's a problem with that. And I think God, our Father, looks at us and says, you know, I... I don't want second things for you and for me to become ultimate things. And we live in a world full of second things. And this, this principle of first and second things we, we see in Scripture. Look at this. In Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God, what? Above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. In the NIV, it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he will give you everything you need. You, you, you don't need to worry that God is going to hold out on you, that you're, you're not going to have what you need in this life because you need to seek first Him and His kingdom and He will supply for your needs. First and second things, seek first the kingdom of God and then the second things will be thrown in. Don't seek first the second things because then you'll lose both. We see this in the parable of the talents where one guy is given five talents, the next guy is given two, the next guy is given one. And one guy, and the first couple guys decide to try and honor God and put God first or the master first in the parable by doing what he told them to do with the first, uh, the first two guys that got the talents. And the master comes back and he says, well done. What does it say? Come share, come share in your master's happiness. You put first things first and you get to, you get to share in the second things too. The third guy does, decides not to do what the master has asked him to do. And the master comes back and he said, you were lazy, you wicked and lazy servant. I'm going to take even what you have away and give it to someone else. 
The third guy put second things first, and he ended up losing everything. We see this in the Beatitudes, which is a, just a fancy word for, for this, this portion in the Scripture where Jesus gives a sermon, and we see it in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. This is what it says, What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you ha- have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are, for, are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to be popular. He's not saying it's wrong to be rich. He's not saying it's wrong to eat good food or to laugh. Not at all. But he's saying that if food is your end goal, if that's your number one, if popularity, if being rich, if whatever this world might define as being happy, if that is your first, you will lose that. If you put that second thing first, you will lose both. And we see this when he, when he goes on and, and, the, and he talks about uh, the who is blessed. It says, God is, blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. And so it's not just about, well, if you're weeping, God's going to bless you. This is the main point. What blessings await you when people hate you or, and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil? What does it say? Because you follow the Son of Man. Blessed are you who puts first things first. When that happens, what does it say? Be happy. Q. No, I'm sorry. I I didn't have the Q for the next one. Uh, For all, we'll have to wait. Be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great award awaits you in heaven. If you fall the Son of Man, if you put first things first, then you should be happy because you will get the second things thrown in. And this word in the Greek, markarios, that's what the word blessed is. It's this idea that in the context here is that all goods and values are now completely secondary to one supreme good, that there is a kingdom of God ethic that is beyond the ethics of this world. It is a blessing that transcends the here and now. God does not want you to pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue Him. His presence is the goal. His will is the goal. He does not want you to use Him to get stuff. He wants you just to want Him. And in Him, you will find all things that matter in life. But up until this point, I still haven't talked about the verse that this lie got twisted from. He will give you the desires of your heart. It's true. But we say that because we're only quoting half of the verse. Here's the full verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This word delight in the Hebrew means to be soft, means to be pliable. It has, um, it has connotations of intimacy. Be soft, be moldable, be pliable before the Lord. Be intimate with the Lord and connects these two ideas. I want to show you something here. 
Now you saw how bad my dance skills are. But check out my crochet skills. I, I, I made this blanket. Yeah, come on. Hey. If you, if, you're actually, if you actually know crocheting, you'll know that it's, you know, it's not the greatest, but I, I, did, I did pretty good. I made this blanket 16 years ago, and it sits in my living room, and I made this blanket because I was dating a special someone, and they taught me how to crochet. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is my way into her heart. I spent time with her crocheting, her teaching me how to crochet. And, uh, you know, first things first. Uh, you got second things thrown in here. Uh, and I, I, I was away. I, I was away. We spent the summer apart, four months apart from each other. Uh, and this was uh, just less than a year before we would get married. And, uh, and I was sitting at camp. And camp is all sorts of fun stuff to do, but I, I just remember just being in love with this girl, and, and, and I wanted her to know that. And her favorite color is pink, and my favorite color is blue, and I had this idea. She taught me how to crochet. I am going to crochet a blanket this summer. Uh, and when you're not good at crocheting, this takes a long time. I mean, Lisa can crochet this up pretty quickly, but uh, for me, I spent a month, like every evening, just crocheting this blanket instead of doing a bunch of other things that I could have been doing at camp that would have been totally fun. I don't regret that. But why would I do that? Delight yourself in the Lord. Your intimacy with God does what? It changes the desires of your heart. My intimacy with Lisa did what? It changed the desires of my heart. I, I would rather... Why would I do that? I mean, I, I probably won't do that now, but at the time, why, why would I do that? Why, why would I choose to do that? When you are in an intimate relationship with God and you are intentional, you put first things first, you seek first His kingdom, it's not that that's the formula to getting what you want. It's that that is the way your heart changes to be for the things that God is for. And so when the Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, what it's saying is your delight, your heart, your desires actually change to align with the one that you love. And when that happens, we can know for certain that we will receive the desires of our heart because we've put first things first. Last week, I, you guys remember this cup that I licked? Um, I got a drink. Anybody want a drink here this morning? I, I, so I, this, is, this is my favorite cup. I brought it home. And, uh, and as, I, as I brought it home and I was taken out of my bag, I dropped it and I broke it. And I was super disappointed. And then I felt like immediately, that's a, that's prophetic right there. That God just, I, I, I just had this thought that there are things in our life that we have made, we've made second things first. And, and if you weren't here last week, I just talked about how the cup 
was intended to hold the water. And we're talking about the, 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 the Jesus being central. It's not about the cup. It's about what we put in the cup. It's not about second thing. It's about first things. And when I dropped it and I broke it and I said, how many of us need things to break in our life that we've put first that ought to be second? How many of us have made the cup the main thing? And uh, so I'm going to keep that cup now. And I'm not going to drink out of it anymore, but it's going to be a reminder to me to put first things first and second things second. To put Jesus first. To seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That if I don't have Jesus, then I don't care what I have. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close in worship this morning. I want to propose an invitation as we move towards worship. I want to give you time to think about this. Next week is Celebration Sunday. And I, I think Celebration Sunday, uh, we celebrate the testimonies, we celebrate what God is doing. It's, it's a time for us as a community, as individuals, to take next steps. And there's some, I think, in this room that need to take a next step next Sunday. Uh, there's some, for, for whatever reason, have been afraid to make first or make central the thing that God is asking you to make central. And for some of you, it might be parents that are saying, you know, we want to not just dedicate, we don't want to just parent around the, the, the realities of our culture and the values of our culture, but we want to seek first the kingdom of God and we want our parenting to reflect that. Well, next week is a time for you to, to make that declaration. Some of you have never been baptized. You've never actually taken that public step to say, I'm making first things first. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I want my life to be to revolve around Jesus and him to be the Lord of my life. And maybe you've, you've lived like that, you've prayed like that, but you've never actually taken the, the step of publicly identifying with Jesus. I'm going to invite you at the end of the service to do that, to plan for next week, to say, I want to publicly identify with Jesus. I want to put first things first and put second things second. Maybe the Lord is stirring you in your heart to be baptized. Maybe you've been living as an individual and you think, I don't need community, and God's actually challenged you on that. And we join covenant community. Why? Because we have to know, but because God does not save us just for himself. He saves us into a body, a community of believers. And in our culture of individualism, we reject that idea. And God is saying, this needs to be more primary in your life. You've got to stop doing life on your own. And if, if baptism is publicly identifying with Jesus covenant community is publicly identifying with the community. And so as, as we worship in this last song, I, I, I want to ask you, what does it mean for you to put Jesus first? And is there a practical way that you can respond to that next weekend by putting first things first and second things second? I'm going to invite the band to just sing that, that chorus a little bit as we close. Uh, but I want to give an invitation I believe that there's some here this morning that need to take the step of baptism. Maybe you've committed to Jesus privately, but you've never taken the step to do that publicly. Uh, and I'm going to just invite Pastor Chris to be available. Um, and also our prayer. So this is Pastor Chris. He's the, the wacky guy that did the announcements there. Uh, and I'll invite our prayer teams forward too. And, uh, and if you would like to take the step of baptism next weekend, I just invite you to, during this next singing time, uh, to come and just see Pastor Chris, 
and he'll just take your name and, and phone number, and we can get in contact with you this week uh, and arrange for that to happen next weekend at Baptism Sunday. Uh, and if you'd like to receive prayer for anything, our prayer teams are available as well. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, and just a reminder that we have starting point uh, after service for week two. Uh, but as mayor, uh, would, you, would you just lead us in that song? And mayor will close us off uh, in a couple of minutes, and then you'll be dismissed. But if, if God's stirring your heart and saying, you know what? First things first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And you, you feel that whisper in your ear that says, you know, I'm inviting you to take the step of baptism, to publicly identify with me. Uh, just come forward, uh, see Chris, and then uh, we'll connect with you this week, and we can do that next weekend.